Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. The biblical expositor must be biblical. He mustn't read a text, close the Bible, and then dribble on for 40 minutes with some pop psychology, some political issue. No, as Walter Kaiser teaches, he must preach with his finger on the text. The text must be the foundation of what he needs to say, not a springboard for what he wants to say. Welcome to Know the Truth. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. The best runners train in-season and off-season, keeping their eyes on the prize. And today, Philip reminds us that as runners in God's race, we need to be trained up in God's Word in order to stay the course and finish the race. It's a lesson called Stay on Message from the Without Apology series. And if you missed a previous part of this lesson, you can catch up later on our website at ktt.org. But right now, here is Pastor Philip DeCourcy. I believe everything rises and falls in church life with regards to the strength or weakness of the pulpit. And so we're going to look at this wonderful passage together in the letter to Timothy. And what we have here is a bold challenge to a young minister and a man of God to live without apology. In fact, the whole series has been called Without Apology. And I hope that you and I will live lives without apology, lives committed to the gospel, lives unbendingly loyal to the glory and the person of Jesus Christ. So 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing, that's the coming, the second appearing of Jesus Christ, And when he appears, so will his kingdom. That's a premillennial text, by the way. His return will be premillennial. He will come before the kingdom, and when he comes, he'll set up the kingdom. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So here's the backdrop to preaching. Here's the backdrop to the pulpit. God's holy throne and the coming of Jesus Christ in glorious power at the end of the tribulation with his saints to set up his kingdom to judge the nations. So what's the implication, guys? Timothy's preaching was to have a God-centered vision, a Christ-centered motive, and a judgment-centered perspective. The triune God will be at the foreground, and eternity and judgment, heaven and hell will be at the background. That's what Paul was asking of Timothy. Timothy, as you mount the stairs to the pulpit, realize that God sees you. 
And you're going to give an account for your sermon and for the souls and the spirit with which you preach the word. That's to the background and to the foreground is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, moment by moment, getting nearer and nearer. The kingdom's coming, the curtains coming down, the glories of heaven, the rewards of faithful service. Let that fire the pulpit. So that's the coming. What about the charge? Well, the charge is simple. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching for the time will come when they will not endure the word. Preaching the word is how you fulfill the ministry primarily. What is evangelism but preaching the word? So you want to fulfill your ministry, Timothy? Preach the word. That's what you've got to give yourself to. And you know what? This isn't isolated. This is throughout the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy and Titus. You go back to chapter 4 of his first letter. I quoted it earlier. Give yourself to reading and to exhortation. And let your progress in the Word and in sanctification be known to all. Now, let's not disconnect chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, from the earlier verses of chapter 3. Let's not disconnect this section from the preceding section. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word. So after saying that, you know what? Don't forget the chapter divisions are not inspired. They're not even there. And immediately he goes on, Therefore I charge you, preach the word. Having given him the doctrine of the nature of Scripture, having talked about its nature and its ability, it leads to Christ, it reveals the mind of God, it matures the church, it's breathed out, inspired, it's a sovereign, saving, sufficient word to the world, if God has breathed out His Word for the world, it's got to be communicated to the world. So, Timothy, preach it. You've got to understand that connection. Let's begin to look at this charge. There's several elements to this preaching call. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Let's stop there. The word preach is a Greek word, Caruso, it carries the idea of herald. Paul is calling Timothy to herald the word. That's a very interesting word. A herald was a messenger sent by the king, an ambassador or a messenger who would go forth from the court of the king with the authority of the king, with a word from the king. And he would either go to a foreign court and declare it, or he would go out among the villages and among the cities of the kingdom, and he would declare perhaps a holiday. He would declare a great victory. He would declare a new tax. I don't know what it was, but he would go and herald the word of the king. And he would do it with authority. Hear ye, hear ye. And the people would gather. And he would herald the king's edict. This would remind us, number one, to preach precisely. It's the herald's job to communicate the king's word exactly as it was written and accurately 
as he finds it. Bottom line, the pastor, preacher, the biblical expositor must be biblical. He mustn't read a text, close the Bible, and then dribble on for 40 minutes with some pop psychology, some political issue. No, as Walter Kaiser teaches, he must preach with his finger on the text. And he must keep coming back to the text to justify what he's saying, or else he's got no justification to say what he's saying, certainly no authority. The text must be the foundation of what he needs to say, not a springboard for what he wants to say. He must expose the meaning of the text in its original context, and he must then accurately and contemporarily apply it to his people. So what's Paul calling Timothy to? Exposition of the text. It's our job to speak what God has spoken and let the text speak. When I was taking my church in Santa Clarita, Placerita Baptist Church, I had the immense privilege of having Dr. John MacArthur preach on my installation. He spoke from the pastoral epistles, from Timothy and Titus, concentrating on Timothy. And in the course of his message, he challenged me to preach the word and be faithful to the text. And he told a story of how in his early days there at Grace Community in Los Angeles, he was approached by Otis Chandler, who was the owner of the LA Times. John had a growing congregation, a voice that was now being heard across the country on the radio. And John wasn't one to kind of, you know, just address every trend within society, every new news headline. And so Otis Chandler took him out for lunch, and during the conversation, he said, John, you know, you've got a voice, you've got a platform. Should you not address the issues of the day? To which John MacArthur replied, he said this, Otis, I have one task, and that is to make the voice of God audible through preaching. You really don't want to hear another opinion. Because if I get off from the book, I'm giving you an opinion. When I get into the book, I'm giving you the truth. Preach precisely. Preach plainly. Preach plainly. And here I'm doubling back and doubling down on the idea of the herald. That's the Greek word for preach, herald. There's several words that the New Testament writers use to express what preaching is, but Caruso, the herald, the messenger of the king, who declares the edict of the king accurately. That's our image, and so we need to preach precisely. But if we go back to that image, we need to preach plainly because you can be sure of this, that knowing that this was the word of the king, the herald didn't stutter and didn't stammer because he had the authority of the king. He knew that this had come straight from the hand and the heart of the sovereign himself. And that gave him some authority. That gave him some boldness to preach. He didn't tiptoe through the announcement. Well, folks, I, I hope you'll give me a hearing today. I know you have many things you could be listening to. I hope you'll make some room for this. No. Hear ye. Hear ye. This is the word of the sovereign, the king. And the people's ears perked up. And you know what? That's a message to the preacher, to herald the Bible with clarity and conviction. Now, that's not the same as arrogance. 
but clarity and conviction. Preaching should be done in a similar manner to heralding. I certainly think in many situations, preaching is monological, not dialogical. We can strike up a conversation after I've declared the word, which is monological. I'm bringing you the word of the king, and then we can talk about that afterwards. But it's not a conversation until it's an exposition. I love what we read of the Lord Jesus in Mark 12, 37, and I take an inference from it. The common people heard him gladly. Now, you got to keep it simple for the common people. It's got to be plain. It's got to be direct. It's got to be bold. And it was all of that, and the common people heard him gladly. What does Paul say in his First letter to the Corinthians chapter 2, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or wisdom, declaring you the testimony of God. I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Listen, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. He didn't use Greek rhetoric. He plainly declared the gospel of the crucified Savior. Get a similar thought, don't you, in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 12, where he declares the manner in which he spoke to them. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, plainness, directness, boldness of speech. One last text, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 5, Paul's defending himself here. His integrity is under attack. That's why he will say repeatedly in 1 Thessalonians 2, you know, you know, you know. You know me. Remember how I preached? Remember how I acted? Now you're listening to these guys? Come on, you know. And as he defends his integrity, he defends the integrity of his ministry. And he says this, but as, verse 4, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing man, but God. There we are, guys. I charge you before God. This is the apostolic sense of what preaching is and who you're preaching to. Not as pleasing man, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, not a cloak for covetousness. God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, that we might make demands as the apostles of Christ. Just again, guys, you know, I didn't come to flatter. There was no flash. I had one ambition, to share Christ. And I did it plainly, and I did it directly, and I did it faithfully. The preacher should not whimper in fear of men or demons, nor should he obstruct the message of the text with obscure words or laborious sentences. I'm always up for that after-dinner discussion with my daughters on a Sunday. I'll say, Dad, you didn't explain that big word. (laughs) That's a good word for a preacher. It's not stop using. They didn't say, stop using it. They just said, Dad, explain it. Make it plain. Make it understandable. 
that the simplest person can grasp it. That's your job, Dad. You're the butler. Don't drop the plate. Don't mess the dinner up. Serve it well. Listen, people may question what the preacher says, but by the time he's finished his exposition, they should never question what he said because he made it plain, understandable. Exposition should never be hazy, dim, foggy, or indistinct. I never want anyone to leave the sermon on a Sunday morning and saying, you know what, that sure was a good sermon, although I didn't understand any of it. And there's just that sense, well, that was good, God's Word, but I didn't get it. Well, then I failed. It's not apostolic preaching. Apostolic preachers preach and speak with boldness, clarity, plainness, directness. There's no substitute for that. I say this to myself, to young emerging preachers, to Bible leaders, Bible group discussion leaders also. Don't try and sneak up on people with God's Word. Don't try and smuggle the gospel into their life. And if you have a public ministry, when you're up front, be up front with the gospel. I like a story I came across. Do you remember when uh, Alan Greenspan was the Federal Reserve Board chairman? Kind of doer character, wasn't he? You know, open the casket, lay him down. I mean, it was, it was that kind of presentation. In fact, he would admit that. And he was often, you know, passive and boring to listen to. In fact, it is reported that he once said, if I seem unduly clear to you, you must have misunderstood what I said. <laughs> right? Now, hey, maybe if you're the chairman of the Federal you know, Reserve Board, that's what you need to be doing, you know? It's a shell game. It's obtuse. If people really knew, maybe scare them to death. So let's just, you know what? If I seem unduly clear, then you've misunderstood what I said. But that's death to the preacher. That's not what you want to hear at the judgment. Hey, it's always good to quote Spurgeon, so I'll finish with a quote I came across in a book this week I read. It was tremendous. Spurgeon on the Christian Life by Michael Reeves. Highly recommend it. In his day, Spurgeon got exasperated by aimless sermons where preachers just trotted out platitudes. Spurgeon would grieve the advertisements that some churches are putting out there, literally in words for all to read. Come to our church. Our pastor won't preach at you. Well, what's he doing there? Because according to the text here, preach the word. Spurgeon said to his pastors in light of that little statement, we do not go out snowballing on a Sunday. We go fireballing we ought to hurl grenades into the enemy's ranks. I love that. No snowballing in the pulpit. Just preach the word compassionately, yes. With a heart for people, yes. But foremost, a fear of God. A sense of eternity. A weariness. Realizing the glory of God's glorious Son is bound up in this exercise. So do it precisely and do it plainly. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men that love your word. 
that has a direct application to me, perhaps, but an indirect application to them. May they expect what we're reading here from every pastor and elder and preacher in our church. May they be the guardians at the door to ensure across the generations that it's this kind of man that stands at this pulpit, that it's this kind of exposition that's given to our children and our young people. This is the stuff that our discipleship is made of. Oh God, these are days in which men are tickling ears, massaging hearts, rather than striking souls with a call to repent, to prepare the judgment is coming. Guard us against it. Help us to be a counterweight to it. We thank you for your word. You've exalted your word above your name. We thank you you've revealed yourself. You've spoken, spoken lovingly in the gospel to us. You've told us the dignity of our lives created in your image. You've told us that our lives are spoiled by sin and a nature that's rebellious to God. You've told us you didn't abandon us, but sent your Son to indeed forgive us of our sins. And you've sent your Spirit to break the dominion of that sin in our lives and bring us back to looking like you. Oh, this is a glorious word. May we preach it. May we listen eagerly. May we seek to understand it. May we live it and obey it. May these men aspire to be preachers of the Word, students of the text, theologians of the gospel, not with grief, but with joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Philip has more to share in just a moment, so stay with us. You're listening to Know the Truth and Philip DeCourcy, an encouraging lesson titled Stay on Message. If you joined us late today, be sure to catch up on this lesson by downloading the KTT app or podcast. Just search your favorite app store or podcast platform for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy or listen online at ktt.org. Well, today we learned that when it comes to staying true to the Bible, there's nothing more important for a preacher of God's Word, and there's nothing more important for the hearers of God's Word. And that's why the ministry of Know the Truth exists. Philip, it's our mission to bring the Word of God directly to the ears of our listeners. That's right, Wayne. Our goal is to share the gospel with a world in need of truth, and to do so with boldness, clarity, and conviction. Men and women all over the world are in desperate need, whether they know it or not, of the clear and compelling truth of God's Word in the gospel of Jesus Christ, of which we are not ashamed. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth centered on Him, and that truth will make you free. And so it's our duty as Christians to share the message of the gospel in its full life-changing power. And that's what KTT is all about. That's our mission. That's our message. And we need people's support. So if you're listening today, I want to invite you to support this ministry. You can support the ministry in prayer. You can invite your your friends to engage this ministry on radio stations or media platforms. But the best way you can help us is by investing financially in this ministry. 
by giving to know the truth, becoming a truth ambassador. That will make an eternal difference. So play your part alongside of us. Um, join us in this great mission. Wayne, would you give our listeners more details? I sure can. You can become a Truth Ambassador today by calling 888-644-8811 or by visiting us online at ktt.org. As a thank you for your partnership, you'll receive a welcome package with books by Pastor Philip and other exclusive benefits like the quarterly Accord newsletter designed specifically for our Truth Ambassadors. You'll also receive Living by God's Promises by Joel R. Beakey and James A. LaBelle. This book provides insight into God's promises for believers in all stages of life, equipping us to live with confidence, assurance, and energy daily. And finally, you'll receive a custom Know the Truth shirt as a special thank you to regularly remind you that you are a faithful member of the Know the Truth team. Just call us at 888-644-8811 or give your gift online at ktt.org. Well, I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for when we'll begin the second half of today's lesson, Stay on Message. We're learning that the best antidote to error is a true knowledge of Scripture. That's Tuesday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.